All right, welcome back to the podcast. And hey, I'm excited for you to meet my new friend, Pastor Jesse Bryles. Uh, Pastor Jesse is a lead pastor here in Michigan, up in the Lansing area. And he has a fairly new, uh, fairly recent diagnosis of ASD, which is Autistic Spectrum Disorder. And so we talk about what that looks like for him, uh, how he came to be diagnosed as an adult, uh, how it's affected uh, his ministry, and then how he's he is learning uh, to pastor in light of his diagnosis. Uh, one of the questions as I was doing the editing and going back through it and, and listening, which first of all, apparently I was having, I had a really hot mic, so, but whatever, that's an aside. I've been wrestling with, as I'm understanding what it means to be neurodivergent and then thinking about this idea of neurodivergent clergy, especially as we're moving towards, people are moving towards ordination and we talk about the call and do you have the gifts and graces for ministry? What does that mean to have the gifts and graces for ministry? Maybe the question I'm kind of wrestling with, which I think a lot of us do as neurodivergents is, how neurotypical do you have to be in order to do your job? So there's there are certain physical limitations that w- disqualify you to be uh, a pilot, for example. Um, you know, you can't be blind to fly a pilot, a f- fly, fly a plane, at least not that I know of. You know, if you're going to be a firefighter, you have to be able to lift so much weight, a uh, police officer, um, those those sort of things. And so we start talking about are there elements in order to do your job as a pastor that neurodivergence struggle with? Um, are there certain things that would keep us from being pastors? And in particular, in this episode, we talk about the idea of pastoral care, right? And so for, for autistic people, as well as people with ADHD, um, they often struggle with eye contact, which is often a, a sign, right, that you're doing pastoral care well or correctly, uh, depending on what verbiage you want to use there. But as we talk about it in this episode, and, and I think I want to hash through it a little bit more even for myself of, you know, I think that pastoral care will, would look, will look different if you're neurodivergent but it, but you can still care, right? So your pastoral care might look different. It doesn't mean that you don't care or that it's necessarily ineffective. Um, maybe we can't, maybe it's more difficult. Maybe we need more downtime, right? In between um, hospital visits or home visits or phone calls and those kind of things. I guess I'm thinking through this as someone who sits on the board of ministry or the credentials board for my denomination in in this particular area where I serve, I I guess I'm asking the question of, have we equated somebody having gifts and graces with really, oh, you're just more neurotypical, right? And wrestling with some of those aspects myself. Another thing we talk about in this episode is stimming, which is short for stimulation. There's another episode that I've already recorded where we talk about it even more so. Stimming is uh, short for stimulation. Stimming is a symptom of many different neurodivergent diagnoses, but stimming is also normative to neurotypicals as well. It's just that for neurodivergence, we do it more often in order to self-regulate. But maybe neurotypicals would benefit if they embraced it as well. So stimming usually can involve any of the five senses. Um, So if you think about vocal tics, it might be singing random choruses, uh, lines of a song, whatever. Uh, A lot of times it's repetitive. Uh, Movement, and so it might be chewing on pens, tapping your foot, picking at your fingers. Um, There's a whole wide range talking with your hands, dancing, twirling, whatever. Ones that get highlighted oftentimes um, in whatever. If you go on Pinterest and you start looking at 
ADHD, autism, uh, OCD, some of the other ones. The ones that get uh, highlighted are typically the ones that are bigger and more noticeable. But there are lots of ways that people stim uh, and that keep it smaller and le- and more inconspicuous, I should say. So anyway, I wanted to clarify that a little bit. We, we get into this. We talk about stimming a little bit in this episode, but we don't really define it uh, or delve into it too much. But I will talk about it more in some of the upcoming episodes. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this. And I will also put a link to Pastor Jesse's Facebook page, which is called Neurodivergent Clergy. It would be awesome if you would jump on and follow him, like his page. Uh, In the meantime, enjoy this episode. We've been trying to tell better stories about women and clergy and the church because we really need to tell better stories. Instead of just complaining about it, what if we flood the airwaves with something different? All right, well, welcome to the podcast, and I'm very glad that you're doing this. Um, Thank you very much. Yeah. So, hey, we just start with where are you? Where are you serving at? I am the lead pastor at Lansing First Church of the Nazarene in Lansing, Michigan. Um, been in that position officially since December. Originally started at this church as a children's pastor, and then served as interim um, during transition, and moved into the lead pastorate. December fifth was when I was installed, uh, but I've been the interim since last February. So it's been about a year um, since I took on um, the lead pastor role okay. in one form or another. Yeah. What were you before? Sorry. Associate? What was your role before that? Uh, children's pastor. And that's what I went, that's, that's what I went to uh, Olivet for. Um, that's my, what my degree is in, my undergraduate degree is in children's ministry. So that's where my passion really is. And I feel like I connect better with kids than adults. Um, and part of that's probably my uh, autism um, that kind of helps that that gift. But I originally got into ministry as the college children's ministry. Um, but the Lord keeps on pushing me towards lead pastorate. This is my third lead pastorate. And I've had more lead pastorate positions than children's ministry positions now. So uh, my husband is dyslexic and he's definitely in the neurodivergent camp. And we call him the, the child whisperer because like, he always has kids just following him around at church. So I imagine that you're mm-hmm. probably a, a magnet the same way. <laughs> like all the kids just kind of flock to you. Yeah. yeah always, always, even at family things, I'm like at the kids table and stuff, just where I feel more comfortable. And so it's been, God's definitely used that as a, as a, uh, a gift and whatnot. Sometimes it's, it's hard to not be in that position, you know, officially, but he continually lets me use that gift in various ways. I'm helping with camps this year at our, on our district. And um, so, you know, that's where I felt called, but the Lord's kind of just moved me whatever direction he wants me. And that's where I'm going. So, yep. Oh, well, well, awesome. There's definitely a, a learning curve being in your, so you've been, wait, so, okay. I want to go back real quick. So you've been a, you've been a lead, pa- I know like, like this is, Sorry, no. this is, this is classic neurodivergent conversations. You've been in lead pastorates before. Um, Mm -hmm. So how long has it been since you've been in from your last lead pastor to this one? I was a lead pastor in Kansas City, Missouri, um, right before I came up here. So like November of 2019, I just felt like I haven't been diagnosed yet. And we can get to that (laughs) a little bit, but, but, but I hadn't been diagnosed, but I was feeling like I wanted to get back into associate ministry. And I think part of that was just feeling some of, you know, my overwhelmness with, with my, my near nerd or divergentness and all that kind of stuff. And so I very intentionally took the step to go into a associate position, you know, a smaller, well, it's about the same size church, a little bit bigger. Um, but, you know, so that I would be able to do what I felt comfortable doing and not have to be in charge because there's something I struggle with really uh, strongly that are expected of a senior pastor. And so I was just like, well, I'm going to just kind of try to go back into associate ministry and, and, you know, kind of see if the Lord can kind of make things a little easier in that position, which he did until COVID hit. And then everything was thrown out the window. So, right. yeah. So I was only there as a children's pastor officially and like doing children's church, doing 
events for like four months before it hit so oh gosh um, <laughs> and then <laughs> and then our senior pastor left in that next February so there's a year of kind of random things and we started a school age program where the kids would come and do their work on their computers at there that lasted a couple of months we did that but yeah it was just a lot of different things that you know it looked so completely different and so um, one thing that I struggle with with autism is you know I, I like to expect things and have things planned and if things don't mm. go well overwhelms me um, whatnot and COVID and just this whole journey has just kind of been it's been a struggle but the Lord's really kind of helped me to grow in a lot of areas that how to deal and how to cope with with things that that um I hadn't been able to do before I think <laughs> I com- I completely understand I completely understand that yeah with um with COVID I think especially Sunday mornings because you know I I like this is how we're going to do it and we do and we kind of do it pretty much the same way every single week and then now all of a sudden you got to change it and you're, cha- you're not just changing one thing you're changing everything and then you're mm-hmm. you know you might change it might be different it was different like like every week you're changing it Okay, so let's talk about your diagnosis because one of the things yeah. I, I asked for I asked for some questions from my listeners ahead of time. One of the things they were ta- asking was talk about why people chose to get diagnosed, especially if they got diagnosed later on. What kind of led to it? So, well, first of all, you're you've been diagnosed officially as an adult, but you had some other mm-hmm. diagnoses as a child, and then that changed over mm-hmm. the years. So, mm-hmm. we just talk about what that looked like, and then what kind of pushed you over to get an official diagnosis mm-hmm. and have them look at it over again. Yeah, when I was a kid, um, I just there was times where I had outbursts, uncontrollable, and at school I was struggling to like just you know pay attention and be interested and show interest in homework or schoolwork and stuff like that. Um, and so um, my parents sought like, you know, official diagnosis or help at that point. What they came up with was mostly anxiety. Uh, they thought I might have something with a t- attention deficit or whatever. The uh, diagnosis back then were definitely different than they are today and less common uh, with autism. And it was kind of an age of, of uh, ADD and ADHD kind of um, being really popular or at least uh, category people would be put into. So they put me into that. I took medicine for that. It helped somewhat, I believe. Um, I don't remember as much as, you know, my parents would have remembered it. That that was my first kind of entry into like mental health and those kind of things. Just through high school and college, I kind of was on and off again with uh, my mental health medicines and struggles throughout that time. I had a really bad breakdown during college, uh, my college internship that I had, got back onto medicines and, and, and then kind of had been on them since then regularly, but there's been just times where, um, with just my diagnosis of anxiety and depression that, um, I've had to seek further help and like go to partial hospitalization and all those different kinds of things. And so it just kind of got to a point where, you know, it was kind of mentioned that it might be a possibility that I have autism, but nobody really did anything about it or, and, you know, they didn't say, well, let's test you for that or whatever. Um, they just kind of kept on treating me for my anxiety and my, my depression. Uh, when we moved to Michigan um, and then pandemic started, I hadn't found somebody to, um, to see for my mental health. And so I, I went to um, Pine Rest, uh, which is in Grand Rapids. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, but they're Christian mental health. They have like everything. They've saved my life, but um, (laughs) in various ways. I signed up with them. And at the first um, meeting I had with the the psychiatrist, or I think it was a psychiatrist. I don't remember her official title or whatever, but uh, she can prescribe medicine. So I know there's different levels of psychology and psychiatry. At my first appointment, I kind of mentioned some of my symptoms and stuff like that. And she's like, I want, I want you to get, get a, um, assessed for this <laughs> at my first appointment. And I'm like, okay, I'm all, I'm all in. And so yeah. I'm like, you know, you think this is a possibility. We might as well do that. Um, and so I, I said, okay, let's go ahead and do that. It was during COVID. So a lot of stuff was online or virtual, which was not typical for them to assess. So 
you know, I was kind of a, a guinea pig in their system for uh, virtual assessment because, um, yeah, typically you go in there and do stuff in front of them so they can observe you. So I'm like taking these tests while on Zoom in the background and they're like watching me as I'm doing it. And so it just was weird, but but came back and, and it's like, yeah, you're, you're definitely on the spectrum and and then gave me some of these some uh, things to help with that. And then they changed my my medicines as well. Um, and it's just been, you know, it, it's been a godsend and it answers so many questions. And it's like, I look back at different things that I went through as a child and um, things that I didn't understand. I took, you know, hardships that I went through. I'm like, well, that was probably because I haven't had autism or ASD, right. you know, because I was on the spectrum, you know, I'm not really bad at relationships in a way that's like, it helped me to see that it's not necessarily because I'm a failure, just because I don't operate the same as people other people um because I felt like a failure in so many ways but once I realized I had autism I'm like well there's a reason and so it's not really a failure it's just I operate in a different way and that really helped because a lot of my depression and anxiety was based on feeling like a failure I think um you know and be rejected or not seen as normal now there's reason and so yeah it just helped a lot yeah as a pastor a lot of and this is kind of going on. It's a typical neurodivergent conversation, but as a, as a pastor, I've had two, two year reviews and like all, and those were before my diagnosis and like all of the things that the board or the BS mentioned that I could prove upon were like typical, like autism kind of things. Like I, I didn't do pastoral care as normal as other people um I didn't uh make eye contact as much as 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 they want me to I didn't necessarily share personal stories as much um I'm more of the person that shares stories that I've read or stories that I've gathered rather than you know divulge myself just because I'm not very good at social and making those connections but it just answered a lot of questions and I'm like wow you know I don't know if it would have made any difference with the people if they would have understood better or if the DS would probably, they probably would have understood better too. But it just like helped me to not feel as like maybe not failure is not the word, but like just like I didn't feel like I could fix those things in a way that would be comfortable for me. I and mean, I don't know why I couldn't. And once I got the diagnosis, I was like, well, this makes sense, you know. Um, and now I can look for different strategies, different things based on science and things that they've done and, you know, and just be open with people. Once I got my diagnosis, this was July of 2020. Um, and so I was still associate children's pastor. And so through the whole, I've been very open about it. I think I posted it on, on Facebook. I, I think pretty close to when I received it and I've just been very open about it. And with the whole interview for going from interim to lead pastor, Officially, I was very open about that and told them, you know, here's what, you know, I may struggle with. Here's my diagnosis. Um, here's what, what's going on. Um, and so I think that's helped too. So just being, knowing it and then being able to be open about it so they know what to expect and what may happen and how they can help. If I, <laughs> they know to let me know something if I'm not picking up on the signals or cues. I hope that the the knowledge especially at least your board would educate themselves and that it mm. would make for more positive. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I know that I know it's frustrating uh, having my diagnosis now is I understand some of the struggles I had in my first assignment. Uh, and a lot of it was some of the things that you said, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't a good pastor because I didn't whatever. Yeah. Even in one of my first associate positions, um, I, I was doing awesome with the kids, but I wasn't meeting expectations of some of the adults. And so that I only actually lasted six months there because of that um and that was probably because of my ASD you know and so it's like yeah. you know if I if they would have known and I would have known it would have been probably you know I could have probably I could possibly still be there you know even you know who knows yeah <laughs> it's been really good to know now going forward so I can just be able to communicate it and and help kind of get rid of that stigma help people to understand not everybody that has autism looks like this, not everybody autism um, is un unable to do things like be a pastor or, right. or be in ministry. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. It, every people hear autism, they think of whatever mm -hmm. rain man, right. 
and I think that there are, are several of us who are, um, you know, above average intelligence and we're really, we're pretty good at masking. Like, or we can at least oh, yeah. do it for a, or we can at least do it short term for, for a while. And, and then if you're like, for the most part, you get along with people, nobody's, they just, nobody says anything. They just pass you along. Um, and so then yeah. you don't get the, those diagnoses. So that's so common whenever you are diagnosed as an adult, you know, um, that's one of the reasons sometimes people don't even get diagnosed at all, even though they may have it still, because we're just so good at, we've gotten so good at masking and hiding it or trying to appear normal. <laughs> it's like, that is normal for us to try to appear normal. And, you know, so even if we don't possess certain skills, we can make, make it look like we do. <laughs> it, but it is exhausting. Especially, yeah, on Sundays and stuff, because then you're family a lot of times gets the brunt they you're so tired of putting a mask on them and you know you let it down and it's like since we since we're on the subject of masking let's talk about mm -hmm. what it looks like so what are some of the things that you do naturally because it's, it's probably pretty much the same or similar to other mm -hmm. to everybody but they look a little mm -hmm. bit different it's like what are some of the things that you do that clinicians would say okay that's masking right like that's trying to appear normal you know, have to make very intentional to make eye contact with people and um, be very intentional with um, trying to just have conversations or kind of masking in a way, you know, just, <laughs> it may seem like I'm having a good conversation with somebody, but it's like really taxing and really hard for me to kind of, you know, process it. And, and there's just times where, you know, I'm just saying stuff and I don't even know what I'm saying. You know, I'm just trying to, you know, pass off as, you know, making sense. And then I don't really process the properly, the, the communications because I'm so worried about appearing like I'm understanding the conversation or I'm, you know, making sense to people. Yeah. That's kind of one of the masks really, that really is really there, you know, just, forcing myself to, 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 to be in certain, certain situations and, and, you know, that I would not want to, I don't want to be in. And I, I see that as masking and I think to clinician would too as well, but, you know, just forcing myself into doing things that are difficult, um, especially social situations. And I can do a pretty good job of coming off as normal, uh, but it just takes a lot. And a lot of times, I don't get much out of those situations, if that makes sense. If I'm going to get something out of it, I, I need to be, you know, myself. And too many times I haven't done that, especially before my diagnosis. Getting up and, 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 and preaching a certain way, you know, I was expected to preach a certain way, you know, and past, pastorates and stuff like that. And some of that was masking because, you know, I was, thought I was expected to preach a certain way. And so now I'm more just go with what I feel like I need to go with rather than, you know, trying to fit the, the mold. I think it's really helped um, me, but also helped others. I'm like, wow, you really actually do communicate these things in a way that helps me understand better um, because I'm coming at it from a, a way somebody with, with ASD does. And, you know, it helps people that are neurotypical sometimes because I break really breaking things down and giving all the information. That's part of my ASD. I like to collect information and, and then <laughs> dispel it. But before I would just try to, you know, come up with those points that maybe weren't even there. And I didn't feel comfortable preaching that way about the different things, but I felt like that's what I was supposed to preach about them. You know, it wasn't being myself trying to fit in, trying to fit a mold be honest, I'm, I mask so much, you know, throughout my day-to-day -day life that I don't even see it as masking necessarily, if that makes sense. Getting home and then I'm like starting to take off my mask and then I kind of realize that I've been wearing a mask all day, you know. And, and the more tired you get, the harder it is to, yeah. <laughs> to do some of those, yeah. If I'm in my office or whatever, there's times where I'll stem and I like I rub my legs like I'm doing right now or right. like I, I like I chew on a pen like I have that kind of thing you know those are things that I don't do in front of people that I probably want to do in front of people so I mask my trying to sit still and all those kind of things and so it's just little things like that but when I was in my other assignment I was a pastor of outreach and um, I had note cards with starter conversation questions on it that I kept in my pocket yeah, that would be helpful probably for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And like, well, at my first senior pastorate, um, it was kind of a rural 
a decent sized church, but it was a very rural setting. And so they were very used to pastor coming and doing house calls and, you know, just kind of stopping by and visiting and visiting. This wouldn't be fall, fall into masking because I didn't do a good job of it. Like I go to the person's <laughs> house, I go to the person's house and I wouldn't know when to leave. I wouldn't know like when they were wanting me to leave or if they really wanted me to stay. And like those times were like so high anxiety. I like, I love being with people and people ask me to go do something or come to their house. I do it, but it caused me a lot of anxiety to just kind of drop in because I have no idea, like even hospital calls and stuff like that. I like doing them. I like being there for my people, but I don't know decipher like, okay, you can leave now or, or not. At no matter what point I feel kind of guilty either that I stayed too long or if I didn't stay long enough and that's just something that I probably processed too too much but you know it's like something that I really struggled with as as somebody on uh neuro neurodivergent on the on the spectrum it's just like you know I don't yeah I don't pick on the social cues and half the time I'm just sitting there at their house doing nothing not even saying anything just being there and like right? I probably could leave right now but if they're still kind of like sitting with me and they're talking um, or like making a lot of small talk then I they, maybe they just want me to be there and I you know there's just I'm, I'm sure there's times where people are like is he gonna leave and then I'm sure there's been times where people are like wow he didn't stay long enough but you know there probably were more times than not that I, I did the right amount just really hard for me to know yeah it was a really high expectation of that that assignment and that was one of the things that was mentioned at my was I didn't do that enough, even though I did it, I thought I did it a lot, but I didn't do it enough. And I was, you know, it just was like, how do I know this? How do I know? And, you know, not, not knowing that I had autism and whatever, you know, just again, thought it was just like a social anxiety or just, you know, just something that I was just, again, maybe a failure at. And I, I, I haven't visited as many people because of COVID, but um, those people that know I'm going to, I'm going to be like, you know, at any point, if you know, if you need me to leave, just let me know, you know, especially those people that I know very well. I think just them knowing will help and me knowing will help. The, like the only good thing that has come out of COVID is that I don't have to make hospital visits. <laughs> like it's the hardest thing. Funerals are easy because you're not like the best thing you can do to pastor somebody through a funeral is not say anything, just show up and be present. And then when I do have to talk, I'm, I'm officiating it. So I know exactly what I'm going to say. I don't have to come up with anything witty or whatever. Um, just let them cry and let them tell their story. And it's so much easier. I understand that. And I'm not good about making house calls. I call people on the phone, <laughs> but if I do, it's like, I make, I give myself a 10 minute window because I know I can do 10 minutes and I can do 10 minutes well. And after that, it's going to all fall apart pretty much. So I'm like, oh, I've got somewhere else I have to go, but I just was stopping by because I wanted to see how you check on you and see how you're doing. I, I always like have that excuse in my back pocket and I always set a time limit, but it always seems like for some reason it doesn't feel right at that 10 minute or something like that. Like <laughs> something happens and I'm like, okay, well, now what do I do? You know? we can both relate with that but yeah. neurotypicals they need to there's there should be a class on that or something how to tell people how to tell your neurodivergent pastor how to how to leave it's okay to leave <laughs> yeah they need a workshop for the lay people to tell to tell people it's it's okay to go now mine tends to be like for a meeting especially board meetings i tend to do the info dump thing and so then i'm like mm -hmm. i skipped three three things down on the agenda and I skipped a whole bunch of stuff and and they're like wait are we gonna check talk about these things yeah well whatever we'll get there <laughs> yeah, I've done I just had a board meeting on Sunday and I felt like I did that yeah and like and then I'll like talk about it and then like give all the information that they probably were going to discuss and then so I'm like how you guys feeling like yeah that sounds good I'm like oh I did too much <laughs> I, I said too much you know yeah but I mean my board's been pretty good you know with that and all that but yeah there's been times where I'm like, not only did I cover three points, I covered all the stuff that you probably were going to say in discussion. So uh, who wants to make a motion to do what I, we just said? Because I usually like to like people, let people be, I want them to be involved. I want them to have ownership rather than me, but there's times where I get in the way of that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like our intentions were good. It looked good on paper and then reality happened. All right. So let's talk about your Facebook page a little bit. You yeah, started this um, in January, right? 
Yeah, uh, well, I believe it was technically still December, like the very end, like the new year. I was on, I was at my my parents' house in West Virginia between Christmas and New Year when I started it, um, when I was actually on vacation or off of work, so I could kind of think about a side thing, and that's when I started it, uh, but it, it had been in the back of my mind for a really long time. And there's still aspects of it that I, I'm, you know, still waiting to do and to add and to, to, you know, let the thing kind of evolve a little bit. But yeah, I started it back then. I just was looking online on Facebook and just other places for any kind of resources or anything for neurodivergent clergy. There's no Facebook groups, at least none that were searchable. There may be some that are secret or whatever you can't find. But there was no pages or groups that I could find that were clergy or even really I didn't find much for even the church or religious people. I mean, <laughs> there, yeah. it, there's no divergent cleaning groups and, you know, parenting and all those different kinds of things. But I didn't find anything there. And I knew that that was something that there are several of my friends that most of them are ADHD, but I mean, there's several of us that, that have neurodivergent conditions or issues or realities, whatever word you want to use there for to, to, to but, but had some kind of condition like that. You know, we're just kind of out there trying to do ministry the best that we could. And I wanted to create a place, um, at least with starting the page, where there was more awareness of it and more um, realizing we're not alone and trying to communicate, you know, helpful tips and stuff like that. Um, it's my hope um, to soon start a, a group that is like a closed group where people can be more, you know, open and honest, ask questions or discuss, you know, issues that they're having and different kinds of things. Right now it's an open page and anybody can see. So I know there's some people that are on the page, but haven't been interacting because it's just open and they're not, maybe not open with their condition. Maybe they haven't come, you know, come out and been public with it. Um, I want to create a group so that can happen, so it can be better, uh, better, safer place, you know, no place on the internet is necessarily safe and 100% private or whatever, but right. I want there to be a place where at least there's hopefully a sense of that. There's lots of us out there, I know, not just Nazarene, but in many different, you know, denominations and even different faiths that could just use, you know, support and um, give each other tips or encourage each other and that's really what I want to make sure happens and again I want to communicate to those that are neurotypical that there's lots of us out there that and we can do the job we may not do it the way that you've expected it or whatever but we can do it and so I, I just want to break that stigma you know having to be neurotypical to do anything like being a pastor or you know <laughs> meaningful right. in the world I guess a lot of times when I tell people that I have, I'm on the spectrum, they're like, well, you don't seem like you are and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, you know, just trying to help even educate people, tip, you know, about the spectrum, about various neurodivergencies um, so that they can understand better how it is a spectrum and how, you know, we don't use like low functioning, high functioning in the neurodivergent community. Uh, but, you know, how people, some people can, you know, mask very well and, and present as, as quote unquote typical and not seem that way um, and don't have to be, you know, nonverbal and all that kind of things to, to fall into that. And I just think people don't realize there's a spectrum and, <laughs> but there is, but and I try yeah. to communicate that. True. There are, especially the more I'm learning about it, that, you know, you know, I graduated from high school in the late eighties and they were just starting, you know, up at that point, ADHD was for hyperactive boys and they weren't, mm -hmm. they didn't even, I don't know that they even thought girls could have it. You know, you get, you get good grades and, and you get along and, you know, you, know, you don't cause trouble. <clears throat> we tend to fall under the radar. Especially with school. If you can do good enough, um, then they kind of gloss over those kind of things that aren't ideal, you know, with, with behavior or with, but the thing is like, I'm like, how much better could I have done if I was accommodated? You know, no, I got good grades. <laughs> I mean, in high school, I got an honors and I in college I did too, but you know, how much easier would it have been if I would have known like high school? I mean, it wasn't easy for me to at all, you know, 
but I did get good grades, but you know, how much easier would it have been if I would have known? And it's just a lot of times I felt like I was a character flaw, like, you know, when I had no, it, I had struggled doing homework for some reason. And part of it was my, you know, ASD, you know, saw, seen as, as, as lazy or like irresponsible or whatever. And it was really, you know, part of my ASD, you know, and uh, like, that's what I was saying, you know, character fall or failure. It felt like that instead of, you know, just being how we function or how I functioned. I think that helps so much to know that and people, other people know that as well. Right. Um, some things aren't character flaws and I'm still, still, still communicating that with my loved ones and stuff and helping them see some of that stuff. It's hard for them to understand, especially when they they knew you before and know you for a long time before your diagnosis, you know, it's harder to, for them to see, you know, the diagnosis, I think, than um, others that just learning who you are and knowing who you are from after your diagnosis. But being neurodivergent, because we were talking about the idea of the spectrum, right? So yeah. some of, uh, and then I was reading somewhere, one article talking about spectrum, you think of it more as some, for some people, certain symptoms will present more strongly than others. So, you know, you might have certain symptoms that present more strongly than somebody else. Wow. When you get into higher education, a lot of that then shifts. So because of what symptoms tend to be more emphasized for one person's diagnosis than another, you may do better in one program or a different program or et cetera, et cetera. You're, you went through college and you've got a master's, you, you have an MA, MTS? Yeah, M MA in intercultural studies, yes. Okay. And you did that at seminary. Yes, correct. Right. I guess now that you know that you're mm -hmm. ASD. Mm -hmm. Can I talk about going through that and maybe what, what are some of the things that might've helped you as you went mm -hmm. through that graduate program? Definitely looking back, I can see that, you know, there's different, different styles of courses, different, you know, methods of, of, of teaching those courses and delivery of those courses. And looking back, I could see how, you know, some classes were easier than others, just the way they were set up and, and whatnot. And looking back on that, I definitely, you know, would have been helpful for the for the professors to know just in general, but um, would have been helpful for me to kind of plan what classes I was going to take or or uh, seek out those kind of classes that were um, more fitting to the way that I, I function. You know, there's definitely courses were courses that were mostly on online, which I, I did better at than some people do. It's a lot of people especially neurotypical people, I feel like, don't like online courses, uh, but I do because it's a lot of me mining the information and then, you know, communicating it and, and meeting a, a rubric and meeting expectations. Usually they're set out, but then like if I'm in a class, I was in a class that was student, basically student taught, like it was like seminar kind of base where, you know, each each uh, class, there were like two presentations uh, that were given from a st fellow student or a student group. And that was how you kind of learned the topic of the day. I didn't learn as much with that because not only that, you had to communicate and talk to get points in class, oh, like yeah. to, to interact. And so by the time I started to interact or got in my mind what was going to say, either somebody already said it or I, they had moved on and I was like, well, now I, I got to think of something else to say. And, you know, kind of was a vicious cycle. So like those classes, like I got really good grades in like the typical classwork part, but then like I would get like D or an F almost in like the classroom participation thing, even though I was there and, and participating in the way the best I could. But, um, and then some of those classes where it was my turn to, to give that talk, I would, go like you know an hour when I was supposed to go like half an hour and not even realize I'd gone an hour because I was just like info dumping and talking and talking uh but yeah those were those are hard classes um to to do um one of them I learned probably some of the most I've ever learned in a class but they weren't easy um and so you no know, going back and looking at that you know definitely you know just having the professors know that maybe some of them knew or whatever but like I had to like ask for some of them, like for extra time to finish the paper at the end, um, just because of I had so much going on in my life, but also just, you know, 
part of what I do. I, pra I procrastinate bad. And then also I, I over research and I overthink my papers. I'm like, I want to make sure I do everything right. I make sure I include everything. And then in a paper that's like two times as long length it's supposed to be. And then I have to cut it down and that takes extra time. It would just helped a lot to be able to communicate that. And um, I know that there's different types of accommodations that schools can give and whatever. And, you know, it just would have been helpful to be able to communicate. This is who I am and what I, <laughs> I struggle with. And, um, you know, what do you need me to do and what can can I tell you to do, help do that can help me? And I think that would have been really helpful to, you know, say, I'm not going to probably interact as much. Um, and this is the reason why, if you want me to write questions before, or you want me to write questions down and give them to you after or whatever, to prove that I'm paying attention and I'm like trying to interact, that might've been something I could have done. It might not have been actual interaction in the class, but at least it would have proved that I was trying to come up with questions to ask. I definitely feel like my program that I was in with, with intercultural studies, with talking about um, learning culture and learning people and learning listening really helped me in my, with my ASD because it kind of taught me some things about listening and actually like, you know, hearing people that I didn't really know because i not neurotypical you know so it's like I don't know those were hard classes to practice what we were learning but it was stuff that was like oh you really can learn a lot from like you know trying to listen or it was just really good really helpful to me um, but it definitely wasn't easy and you know I really think it would have been a lot easier if I would have known for sure and I think also there's a certain amount of when you have a diagnosis you it seems like you, you feel like you have permission now to ask, mm -hmm. ask more questions or ask for like, you know what, this would really help me if, you know, blah, blah, blah. I think that during my also hindered me from even just wanting to say anything. As I was going through um, NTS, I was going through a lot of mental health stuff and, you know, going, getting kind of better at, at taking care of myself in that way. And with most of my classmates, I was very open with them about that and some of my professors. And so um, I think if I would have known my ASD, people would have been like, okay, he's asking that right now because he's, you know, he's seeing it in a different way than we do or whatever. It's not like, right. hey, Jesse's just being weird or doesn't understand this. Or, and again, right. I didn't get bad, bad grades necessarily, but I feel like I would have obtained more from it if I would have known. You talked about how online classes, you tend to do better with online classes. And I think that's one of the things I was talking about, the idea of people having different symptoms and different diagnoses. Like for me, I do better with a hybrid. Um, I can do certain things online, but then there's other things where as I hear people's stories, I can take it in a lot better. You know, there's professors that tell you everything and give you expectations and those were good classes. And then they're just like left it really wide open and wanted you to figure it out, like with paper expectations or with, you know, just different assignments. And you're like, I'm like, and I would ask so many questions and a lot of times they'd just be like, well, you can just do whatever you think is best. I'm like, well, I don't know. I don't want to do it completely wrong. <laughs> and I understand them, you know, wanting us to do work and try to figure out things on our own and do, you know, ways built upon what we've learned in the past. Whenever you know that they have an expectation and you want, you like really want to meet that expectation, uh, you want them just to tell you the expectation and that really bothers me I guess that right? bothered me and, and I really struggle with those classes where they just kind of had an open syllabus and this was a hybrid it was online and like a week intensive course you we got taken into this other room uh, which I don't know why we switched rooms but we switched rooms um, and each got to take out a piece of paper from a fish bowl or like a, a bowl and it had a chapter number on it and you had to like talk about the chapter from the book that we all read and so <laughs> coming in the more than that day you had to you had to know everything about every um and then be able to communicate it after you pulled out whatever chapter it was and that was really difficult because you know I just want to be prepared I want to do my best you know not that I don't know the information uh, but that's a lot of pressure especially on somebody with you know ASD to like that struggles with communicating anyway and social you know, expectations and stuff. 
to, to not know what he's going to present on until that that minute before, or like however many minutes it was before. So there's some things like that where classes are definitely built for for neurotypical people, or at least at least for the most part, you know. Yeah, it definitely wasn't easy for me. Let's talk about uh, pastors who are in the process mm-hmm. to be ordained or clergy mm-hmm. who are who are moving towards ordination, and they. I guess I want two questions. I want to ask one is advice for people who already know that mm-hmm. they're neurodivergent and they're answering a call like words of mm-hmm. encouragement and then the other would be mm-hmm. clergy who who suspect that they're neurodivergent if you already know i mean i would just really encourage you to be as open with it and as honest to, with it as with as many people as it feels and that's kind of a hard thing to say <laughs> with, with you have no neurodivergency but as many people as it feels safe and okay to do that and if you don't know who might or how much that might be a ds would be a good person to kind of talk to and and talk about that so i would encourage you just to be open especially with your ds especially some keyboard members um or whoever you if you're like if you are in a bigger church and you're an associate or you're just a volunteer answering the call be open with your pastor or someone that you know that will 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 be encouraging to you and understand um, where you're coming from. Uh, I just feel like just being open about it just helps so so much in my experience. And I know it may cause people to look at you differently. It may cause people to question you about your abilities and whatever. Um, but I think there's so much that can be gained out of people understanding that. You're not just doing something because you don't like them or you don't are lazy or whatever. Um, it's so much better for them to understand, okay, they're not doing this because of, you know, that's not how their operating system works. And I think just really encourage you, if you feel called to pursue that call, to to know that you can do that, know that um, God can use you in ways that you can never expect. Um, I didn't share this earlier, but whenever I was in started college, I went to college for physical therapy to start out with, and I had to take a speech class, and the whole speech, I, like, the two speeches I had to give were, like, were awful speech-wise, like, I was stuttering, and I couldn't even do it or whatever, but if God calls you, like, he will make a way and help you and get you through it, and, like, now I preach, you know, 30, 30 plus minutes, and I may not be the perfect speaker, I may not, I get up there, and I can actually do it and I'm not you know stuttering and all that kind of stuff and so anxious that I can't even get up there so I just really encourage people to if you feel called pursue that call it may not look the same you may not be able to do some lead pastor like I am or whatever but I mean there's definitely associate and volunteer and all different ways that you could minister regardless of how severe or how much of a struggle you have with your neurodivergency I just really encourage anyone you know just to pursue the call to be open you know find people um, and that's kind of why I started the page at find other people that have the same issue I I have a friend that I uh, worked with at I when I was in Kansas City I worked at a mega church in their nursery (laughs) and and uh, there's somebody I worked with she has found out she is on the spectrum since then and has answered a call to ministry since then and both of those things she said that she wouldn't have done if it wasn't for me being open about my my call but also my my condition um and so that's been really encouraging to hear you know being open has helped other people to feel empowered and feel you know encouraged to follow there's been cons of course of being open but and, and, and telling people about it, but I think it's just helped my ministry in so many ways. And so in my calling as well, if you've been called, pursue it. Um, and God will do much more than you ever expected. It may not look like you expected, or it may not be, I mean, my ministry has not looked like I wanted, wanted it to, or expected it to, uh, but God is definitely using it in many ways. Okay. What about people who are clergy? Maybe they're starting to suspect that they're neurodivergent maybe words of encouragement or advice about getting tested yeah i would 
first find somebody you could trust in like the mental health field or whatever, and just, you know, start a relationship with them and start talking to them about it, whether that be a therapist or, um, or, or a psychiatrist or a nurse practitioner, or there's like psychiatry nurse practitioners and stuff, just find somebody that you can trust in that kind of field and start talking to them about that. If you suspect it, uh, be open about all the things that you struggle with to them as well. Even if you don't want to like put the thoughts in, in their mind or whatever you want to say, I really struggle with this and this and this, you know, why do you think that is? Um, I think that's a first good step. And that's kind of where, you know, I had a couple of people that I went to that didn't think testing was what needed to happen. And it is what it is, but I think just being open, honest, find somebody um, because they're more than likely going to be like, yes or no, or here's a good place for you to go, or this is kind of thing. And so that's, that's how I got connected to, to the testing was to find somebody in that kind of thing. And I would just, yeah, I would just really encourage you to, to try to find out and figure out what it is, because there's not only, there's not only so much peace and help in knowing it, what, what's going on and why you operate, operate differently. Uh, but there's also, you know, therapies that you can go to and uh, different types of therapy you can you can undergo to kind of help with some of the things that you struggle with and then there's also medications if you like one of your symptoms is irritability or focus or something like that. there's medicines you can take that might make your life so much easier especially in ministry in and family's life you know one of my big <laughs> one of my biggest symptoms that affects how i you know, interact with my kids and my family and i take medicine that helped me with that and you know before I was really struggling with it, but now I'm not. And so I just really encourage you to, to seek help and, and to be open to whatever uh, they recommend and know that having ASD or even having mental health issues, you know, is not a spiritual failure. It's really a biological and neurological kind of issue. And um, you're not any less than for that. Um, others that are undergoing it, um, People like not just me, but others that are been diagnosed late and later, um, you can talk to. I just really encourage you to find community that, you know, will support you along the way as well. That's awesome. 